Thanks very much, Andy, and um, good to be with all of you this morning. Well, I have to confess to you that I didn't wake up Thursday morning with the following prayer coming across my lips, and that was, Dear God, I would love to have the opportunity to preach this Sunday, and may it be at High Point. Well, later on in the day, I did get a call from Jean from the office, and uh, she indicated that Pastor Nick was not well enough to preach this Sunday, and would I be willing to uh, fill in for him? And I am more than happy to do that. What it means to be part of the body of Christ, right? We all can help out uh, when we're asked to. Well, and speaking of, of Pastor Nick, um, let's establish one thing right off the bat this morning. Please understand, I am not Pastor Nick, okay? <laughs> so, do we need to go any farther than I'm wearing a sports coat this morning? Okay? So, so I think we have that well established. You know, maybe we could take an offering, a second offering at the end of this service, for Alexi to buy Nick a sports coat. What do you think? <laughs> Actually, on second thoughts, it wouldn't work because he would probably take that good coat and, and give it to Goodwill or actually exchange it for a tracksuit or something at Goodwill. So. But in all seriousness, I am so thankful for Nick and Alexi there accepting the call to come to be our pastor here at High Point, the invitation and God's calling on their life. I hope we never take that for granted. You know, it's often been said within church leadership circles that the job of the local senior pastor is almost an impossible job, and that's true. I remember a few years back when we were getting ready for another search that brought us another uh, senior pastor, uh, the elders were looking at a draft of the job description, and one of the elders humorously quipped, you know, I don't even think Jesus could fulfill the job expectations that we have for the man that we expect God to bring us. And there's some truth to that. So with that in mind, let's all go out of our way to encourage Nick and the rest of the staff, do everything we can. Yes, let's send notes, let's encourage them, but also let's be willing to follow their lead. So when they ask us to do something that includes the elders or the other staff, ministry leaders, let's willingly do it. So let's continue to pray for our leaders, our elders, and uh, Pastor Nick. Well, there's one more um, housekeeping item that we have to take care of right at the beginning of this service, and that is, um, well, all of you are very special here this morning. You understand that, right? Everybody here is special? Well, there's one person that's, that's particularly special. In fact, this person is special year-round, but today she is extra special. And that is, the reason for that is that today, that is April the 3rd, Diane and I are celebrating our 29th wedding anniversary. So, thank you. And um, I have a delivery to make, so don't go away. Um, oh, I better turn this off, because this really will be the kiss that could be heard around the world, or at least around the sanctuary. Well, and in case some of you are doing the math, going, okay, 29 years, you know, dude, were you guys married, like, pre-puberty or something? And the answer is, no, we were married in our early 20s. However, we are childhood sweethearts. Um, we did lay eyes on each other in third grade, and then I promptly went overseas with my family. My parents were medical missionaries in South Africa, and uh, we were actually pen pals, believe it or not. And uh, six years later, I uh, came back to the States, and uh, believe it or not, I still have Diane's letters. 
Now, she threw mine out. Um, over the years, I've tried not to think that through too much and analyze it. But, uh, well, as fun as it would be to talk about love and marriage today, that's not our topic. Um, our topic is from his presence to the ministry of presence, incarnational ministry then and now. And before we unpack our topic for this morning and look into scriptures, let's bow our heads for prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do pause this day and we thank you for the incredible privilege of being in your house to worship you. May we more fully understand and may we be open to your spirit working in our lives to understand and implement this whole area of incarnational ministry. Lord, go before us, give us open hearts and open minds, we pray, dear Lord. Amen. Okay, so when we talk about this, this uh, topic of from his presence to the ministry of presence, what exactly is it that we're talking about? Well, in a very broad sense, it's caring for someone. Uh, it's the idea of giving a cup of cold water to somebody. It certainly is this idea of being salt and light in the world, places where God has called us. I'm convinced it's at the very center of the gospel. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, additionally, I'm coming to understand that this is an awesome avenue for evangelism. I don't know about you, but I think many of the evangelism training approaches, if you will, uh, make me feel very uncomfortable. It feels more contrived, like we're trying to convince something, somebody of something. And um, I've found that this idea of the ministry of presence is wonderfully liberating, particularly as it relates to sharing our faith. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, it very much is the Holy Spirit's domain, I'm coming to understand, because there's a large part of this, while we can try and understand it, there's a large part of it that we never will. It's very mysterious. So the ministry of presence. Um, if we were to try and come up with a definition, I think I would uh, submit this. Prayerfully and intentionally leaving our comfort zones to bring God's presence into the world. So prayerfully and intentionally leaving our comfort zones to bring God's presence into the world. So our topic this morning is going to key off of the work that, that Pastor Nick has been doing in the Gospel of Mark, as well as the missions conference that we had here about a, a month ago. With the, the difference that so often we go through a missions conference like we went through, and it's very inspirational, and we often wonder, boy, I would love to go to some exotic place like Bob and Patricia Grauman are able to go, or perhaps the Eversons. Uh, but the reality is some of us won't be able to go to those places. So what about our calling? If God calls us to live and work and minister in this city, how do we interpret that calling just as the Eversons or the Grauman's would? Um, it's almost like we could subtitle today's message as missions for the rest of us, okay? God calls certain people to go overseas. God calls some to stay here. Another way to look at this is to describe and contrast uh, means versus ends. Okay, and by that, I mean, let's take an example, worship, what we're doing this morning. Okay, is worship where we come together, we worship God, we experience Christian fellowship, we experience reconciliation. Is this an end in itself, or is this a means to an end? I would submit to us this morning that this, what we are doing this morning, is something that equips us 
to be sent out for service and ministry in the community. That what we're doing today is not an end in itself. Uh, some people have described it as the church gathered. In fact, if you look at the Gospel of Acts, you'll see a number of different stories of the church gathered together for refinement, for worship, to experience reconciliation in order to be sent out to deliver reconciliation and to deliver the good news. Um, I'm learning that this, the idea of, of, of learning the gospel um, as important as that is, and as important as it is to understand the gospel, is that an end in itself? Or are we called to be gospel as well, not just learn about the gospel? I'll have an interesting story of a very hard lesson I had to learn in this uh, category in just a few moments. Um, again, experiencing reconciliation and delivering reconciliation. Uh, Sabbath rest and work or ministry. Uh, is Sabbath rest just an end in, unto itself, or does it equip us and prepare us for another week ahead to be uh, salt and light in the community? And then finally, uh, do our Bible studies, prayer, and nurture groups, are they ends in themselves, or do they prepare us for an outward-focused set of relationships, outward-focused in the community and the places where God has already placed us? So as we think about the ministry of presence, I would say it's, the, it's one application of our purpose statement, extending Christ's grace to all, one person at a time. This is one way that we can live it out. I believe it's what we're called to do personally as well as professionally. So to begin with, I would like to lay a uh, theological foundation, if you will, with four building blocks to help us understand that this, I believe this concept of, of practicing the ministry of presence is central to scripture. And of course, we'll begin with God the Father as our first building block as we lay this uh, foundation. Let's begin at the beginning, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't it amazing that the first glimpse we get of God the Father, God is presenting himself. He is, he is at work. He is putting all this stuff in motion. He's creating everything. He's creating us. He's breathing life into us. It's God making himself known and making himself present. Of course, as we go then throughout the Old Testament, we see God revealing himself in any number of ways through a number of Old Testament uh, people. Let's just take Moses, for example. In Exodus chapter 3, we read these words. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Talk about a dramatic experience, a dramatic encounter with the living God. God spoke to Moses through the flaming bush. And then, of course, in uh, Exodus 19 and 20, the Mount Sinai experience where God communicated, among other things, the Ten Commandments uh, to Moses to communicate to his people. Uh, and then there's this passage in Exodus 33. In fact, let me just read it for us this morning, where Moses, in a very dramatic way, in a very assuring way, experiences God's glory, and God is with him. So uh, Exodus uh, 33, verse 12 and Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and have found favor with me. 
If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you. I will be with you, and I will give you rest. Aren't those incredible words? So when Moses was doubting, God, where are you? God said to Moses, God says to us, My presence is with you. Well, of course, we know Moses went on to do a number of of great things for God, and it was said uh, at the end of uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34, which said of this of, of Moses, No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. No one has ever known the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So from his presence to the ministry of presence. Of course, we could look at any number of other Old Testament characters, David, etc., and and look at the role of God's presence in their lives and then extending the ministry of presence. Think about the Old Testament prophets. Now, that's a different sort of slant on it, right? Their role was to say, you know, woe be unto you and speak truth into power structures. That's a different kind of a a ministry of presence, right? Truth-telling, woe be unto you. So the first building block, if you will, is this idea of uh, God the Father. Well, let's move on to the second building block in our theological foundation of this whole idea of the ministry of presence. And of course, that is Jesus the Son and other uh, and apostles and, and disciples uh, in the New Testament. In John 1, verse 1, again, this, this wonderful passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Incarnation. Isn't that a wonderful picture of God sending Jesus to live among us? The Incarnation, the ministry of presence. Well, as we look throughout the Old Testament, uh, throughout the New Testament, of course, we see a number of other counters. Uh, Saul, of course, had his dramatic encounter with the living God. In, uh, uh, let's see, Acts uh, 8 and 9, we read these words. But Saul began to destroy the church. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And God said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, we know how the story goes, right? Saul has a dramatic conversion experience and becomes what is possibly arguably the most influential uh, New Testament leader. And said at the, at the end of uh, Paul's life, he is able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Well, no, of course, in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark 16, we read the Great Commission. Before Jesus ascended into to heaven and the disciples and his followers, of course, are very concerned. What are we going to do now? We are losing Jesus, we are losing our follower, and Jesus has these words and this this commission. Uh, Go and make disciples of all nations, and surely I am with you always. What a promise. Again, it's God saying, my presence through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit will be with you. Well, I just mentioned the third building block. It's the first, of course, is God the Father. Second is Jesus the Son. The third then, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Uh, in John 14, we read Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. 
says, and I will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I do not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Again, God's promise of the Holy Spirit to be with us in Acts 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is coming to be with you, to be your counselor, to, to be with you as you go about uh, the, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Well, haven't we pretty much covered it? God the Father, uh, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. Well, there's actually a fourth element that's very, very important. And that, of course, is the church. That's us, right? Um, so just a quick reminder. We have a sign out front on Old Sock Road that says High Point Church. All right? And that represents this building. And yes, God does dwell in this building. We believe that, right? But even more importantly, the church is us, right? The people called High Point Church and other churches around the world. So when we leave this building, this campus, later this morning, that doesn't mean that we leave High Point Church. High Point Church is us. It, High Point Church goes with us. We are the church. Wherever God has us, say tomorrow morning, we are the church. Um, the whole idea, we, we talked this morning about the body of Christ. We are part of God's body. We are part of God's mission in the world. Uh, furthermore, this whole idea of the priesthood of all believers, God's call is not just for a select few, so-called full-time Christian workers. We all are in full-time Christian service. We all are priests, if you will, before the living God. Um, okay, with that as, as a, a theological foundation, I want us to move on to what I think we could say would be a, a mandate but then right after that is a, is a tension. And I'm going to be very honest with you that I think we all feel. But the mandate would be this. I think it's safe to say that this would be a, a true statement that we could all believe in. That is that incarnational ministry or the ministry of presence is at the center of our Christian faith and theology regardless of vocation or calling. Would you all agree with that? That regardless of... What you do throughout the week, regardless of who cuts your paycheck or the, the other kinds of work and service and ministries that you are involved in, um, incarnational ministry is at the center of our Christian faith and theology, regardless of what God, God has called us to do. Well, if that's true, then why is it that we so often feel guilty for not bearing more kingdom fruit? Okay, so as we look at our lives, both past and present, um, and let's just have a moment of, of real truth and honesty here in the sanctuary this morning, myself included. How many of us, when we look at our lives, do we not wish that we could be used more for God's kingdom? Let's just see a show of hands. Okay, so I, I think a number of us. I know uh, there have been periods in my life where I felt the same thing. So I want us to deal with that tension, okay, and say, wait a minute, God calls us to bear fruit. Uh, how can we bear fruit? Um, to get there, I want to transition and just tell a few stories of how um, 
as I've thought about this area of the ministry of presence and I've been able to review some of the experiences I've had and Diane and I have had and our family has had, we see God impressing this idea of the ministry of presence on our lives. And we've been able to learn a few things along the way. So um, there'll be a couple stories and then there'll be some principles and then I'll end with one final story. So this is simply the ministry of presence or intentional incarnational ministry as I think it's been worked out in our lives, okay? Our family's life. So I'm gonna tell just a couple of foster parenting stories, uh, international neighborhood, and then our workplace chaplaincy. Um, and this, by the way, remember, I contrasted the church gathered and the church scattered. It's interesting that while we've been involved in church gathered ministries our entire lives, these are all church scattered activities, okay? Um, I'm actually going to skip the first foster parenting story and go on to the second one. But let me set up the story by saying this, that um, quite a few years ago, God laid it on Diane's heart for us to uh, become foster parents. We had two well-adjusted kids, well-adjusted well on most days, and um, we felt that God had given us extra capacity to take care of some needy kids. And so, um, but I have to be honest with you and say, Diane placed, uh, God placed this on Diane's heart. I really struggled with it at first. Um, was very involved in church leadership here, was involved in university ministry, um, young kids. My plate was full. I was not looking for additional ministry opportunities. Okay, so you get the picture. Um, so we signed up, I went through the training, we had our first placement. Um, I want to tell you about the second placement that we had. And this is the story that I referenced early um, in the message where I had, I didn't know it at the time, but there was a major spiritual lesson in store for me. Um, Let's go on to, um, to Malcolm, okay? Um, this is little baby Malcolm, and uh, he was a premature cocaine baby. We picked him up right out of the hospital, and uh, his background is that um, some would describe him as a byproduct kid, in that his mom was a prostitute here in our city, and uh, she had given up a couple of other children before Malcolm, to foster care. So into our home arrives this premature cocaine kid. If you know anything about kids that have drugs in their system, you know that they are a huge challenge. This little guy had to be held literally for 24 hours. These pictures of our daughter Michelle holding him are not posed pictures. She's actually helping out, okay? Um, so it was only fair that during the first half of the night, Diane took him, the, the early hours of the morning, I took him. Now you need to understand, Again, I'm not fully on board with this, okay? And uh, just at that time, I was so pleased that I finally established the discipline of Bible study and prayer, a quiet time, finally. Uh, early in the morning, before any of the, anybody else was up, that was my time. That was the only time in the day that was for me, okay? And it was a pretty typical quiet time. Along comes Malcolm, and you can tell, disrupts that rhythm completely. Well, it didn't take very long for my, my attitude to go south, big time. And it was almost like God had to take a two-by-four to my head for me to get the spiritual lesson. And it was simply this. The lesson what for me was try being gospel for a change rather than just learning about the gospel. See, up until that time, even though I was involved in good ministries, I had intellectualized my faith. And I thought what I needed to do was just learn more scripture and learn more... Uh, 
uh, truth principles. And God had another message for me. He said, no, I want you to be gospel, and I'm going to do this in a dramatic way. I'm going to literally move your Bible and your study material away out of your lap and place this kid in your lap. When I understood that even though my love for, for uh, Malcolm at that time was very conditional, I was completely blown away. That ushered in um, just the opportunity to, to just pour love on this little guy. He was with us for three months, and I wish you could have seen the final day that he was with us. It was uh, Christmas Eve. He went from our home to his adoptive home, and there were 28 family members in his new adoptive home that welcomed him, him in. Uh, with a party. And so what, what a lesson. I shudder to think if I had not passed that spiritual test, if you will, what that would have had uh, for implications for future ministry. So the ministry of presence, um, some, some really good lessons there to learn. Well, time won't, uh, does not allow me to tell you the complete story of um, another, another picture of Malcolm of Devante. Uh, Devante was then with us uh, for about three and a half years. Uh, he also was a cocaine baby. Um, this was very, very costly for us as a family, particularly for Diane emotionally, because it took an amazing amount of time and effort to care for him. But that's what God called us to do. And uh, there were spiritual lessons along the way. I, while I can't go into all of his story, I have to tell you that, you know, I've often lamented that we don't have a, um, like a Christian swear word, okay? Well, Devante uh, has given us a Christian swear word. In fact, I would say it's a sanctified Christian swear word because it was first heard in none other than our nursery here at High Point Church. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, maybe if I was Pastor Nick, I would, but no, I won't. Um, <laughs> So you can see me later, but it is a double-barreled word, and I think it's a Christian sanctified swear word. So uh, we, we can talk about that later. But suffice it to say, it was another ministry opportunity. Um, God has, has given our family uh, the privilege over the years to be involved with international students, not unlike a number of you as well. Do you realize there are between four and 5,000 international students that God has brought to us in this city for us to be able to interact with. This gentleman, Wang Bai, for those of you that are 20 or 25 years of age, will remember the Tiananmen Square uprising. This is one of those students that was involved in that, and he had to flee the country. And God provided for him each step of the way. And he ended up in Madison, and our family was able to befriend him two weeks after he came, arrived in our city, two weeks after he arrived in, in the country. Uh, again, another opportunity. It was very natural. We did a lot of things together. We, we relied on God's spirit to work in his life. Now, an, an item of, of real faith was that we had so many people praying for Mumbai. Because he was a political revolutionary, he understood the importance of change. We talked about personal change or personal revolution. Uh, Donna Shalala, the chancellor at UW, got him into the school there to work on a doctorate in mass communication. So think about the strategic nature of Mumbai going back to China as a believer. The item of, of real faith for us, he never, to our knowledge, he never became a believer while he was here in Madison, even though we all prayed. So the ministry of presence requires a huge element of faith. We have to do our part, but at the end of the day, it's God who is the one that makes things happen. It's not us. 
Well, at times we've, we've uh, tried to reach out to our uh, community, and this was just a simple Christmas tea that Diane hosted one year. And what a pleasure to discover that none other than Susanna Cha, as in Kevin and Susanna, lived in our neighborhood. And that was the first opportunity that we had to get to know them. Well, these experiences, I believe, have led uh, to the let me just go back another one, have led to the formation of the initiative that Andy mentioned about five years ago, and that was the call to leave the staff of High Point Church and to start this region's first workplace chaplaincy initiative. So I distinctly remember the evening when the elders asked for me to report this uh, dream and desire to the congregation, was commissioned and was sent out. Happy to report that five years later, uh, there are now 11 partnering organizations that are sponsoring a chaplain assistance program. This is none other than applied ministry of presence work. Uh, there are six of us chaplains that are serving in this capacity with about 500, over 500 employees and their families or household members that are being ministered to. I wish we had time this morning, which we don't, to tell you some of the dozens and dozens of awesome stories that, that God is, is doing through this work. In fact, last week we had an employee uh, come actually with us uh, to High Point. Uh, it's incredible what God is doing in her life, and we thank God for that. So as I, I tell this last story, um, these are just some of the organizations that are partnering with Capital Chaplains. Be in prayer, if you, want, if you don't mind, for the chaplain assistance work. It's a Ministry of Presence initiative in our region. Before I uh, tell the, the final story, and we'll be done, I just want to outline the principles that, that I think uh, we've been able to observe as we've gone through the various experiences that God has given us. Uh, absolutely the importance of bathing any experience, any opportunities we have in prayer. Certainly counting the cost. Here's the deal on this. You don't know ahead of time which situations are going to cost you very little and which are going to cost you dearly. And part of it, I think, is just trusting God that He will go before us. Be available, okay? Uh, just, just plan on spending time with people. Wait to be invited in would be another principle. Don't try and force ourselves. Don't try and contrive something. Wait to be invited in. You'll see that uh, principle quite clearly in the final story. Do some life together. So you saw us taking Mumbai fishing. We had incredible experiences together, as you can imagine. Be faithful. Be patient and be faithful. Uh, rely on the Holy Spirit. Um, again, we cannot make this happen. I'm convinced there's a huge element of mystery in this. We need to watch God at work. We simply need to be faithful. So as I tell this last story, um, watch for these principles throughout, uh, throughout the story. I'll tell this story and then we'll be done this morning. So. This is Tom's story. He, is, uh, he was an employee at the very first company that signed on with Capital Chaplains, Pelletier Waste Systems. Uh, David and Amy Pelletier are part of the family and they actually attend this church. And I, I think it's so cool and so symbolic that the, the people that haul our trash okay, are the first people in our community to have a chaplain assistance program. So it was my privilege five years ago to start serving those employees. And in any given community, there are people that will embrace the chaplain. There'll be a few that will wait in the wings and kind of, kind of wait to check things out. And there'll be just a few that will be 
either negative or hostile, okay? Whatever Tom thought of me, he was an employee at Pelletier's, whatever Tom thought of me or the chaplaincy program was not good, okay? Um, for six months, every Tuesday morning, uh, the best time for me to be on site was about 5.30 till about 9 o'clock or 9.30. And every morning about 6 o'clock, Tom would come through the, the break area and I would say, good morning, Tom, as cheerfully as I could at you know, 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And Tom would, would grunt, okay? He'd say, <clears throat> as he'd walk by, okay? So for, for six months, tried to honor him. Um, again, he had not invited me in. Whatever his deal was, um, you know, he didn't want to have a relationship with me, and that was fine. So I get a call from Robert, the HR director, saying, hey, Tom's been admitted to St. Mary's. I said, I'd love to go visit with him, but I'll call him first. So I called Tom up, and I said, Tom, sorry to hear you're in the hospital. Uh, is it okay if I come visit you? He said, yeah, that'd be okay, you know, in his gruff voice. So I go to St. Mary's, and I gotta tell you, this is, I, I'm sure, the most superficial chaplaincy visit on record anywhere, okay? Uh, I show up, uh, we, I was there maybe three and a half, four minutes tops. The, the only thing we talked about was, you know, asking how he was doing, we talked about the food, okay? I didn't even offer to pray with him. Now, I'm a chaplain, okay? But again, he hadn't given me permission, but at least there was some progress, okay? Uh, he's discharged from the hospital, um, they've detected some, he's, he's abused his body with all kinds of things, so he's going to have to take early retirement. Uh, the next week is the company picnic. Tom is there, and over brats and chips and burgers, I saddle up next to Tom around the picnic table, and he, he tells me his life story. So for about 45 minutes, I hear the story of Tom's life. Uh, he grew up in the steel mills of Gary, Indiana. Uh, very, very tough guy, tough upbringing. When I say the word, he was an abusive man, whatever comes to mind, Tom is probably guilty of, okay? So you get the picture. Um, again, he's having to take early retirement because he's, he's abused his body. But there was, there was that ministry of presence. We, we were able to connect. Okay, I didn't see Tom then for another year. He went into retirement. I then got a call from his second wife, Tony, uh, who I had met when he was in the hospital. And Tony said, you know, Tom is not doing well. He's probably living in his last days and, um, and just wanted you to know that. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that, Tony. I said, would you like me to pay a house visit? And she said, yes. I said, would you mind if I asked Robert, the HR guy, to go with me? Now, that would be fine. So I pick up Robert. We go to their place, and um, it's a remarkable scene. They're, the first family is gathered. Second family is gathered. Uh, a few friends are gathered as well. Now keep in mind, this is Tom, who has had no room for faith in his life, okay? He's had no room for people of faith in his life. And um, so I walk in and I, say, I greet Tom. I don't even think he greeted me. Maybe he's just not a greeting kind of a guy. But he, he said, Chaplain, he said, um, I've been doing a lot of thinking lately. He said, um, I realized I have messed with a lot of people in my life. I have hurt a lot of people, including my family, my friends, and some of my coworkers. He says, I believe that God has forgiven me of the wrongs that I have committed. I have asked for God's forgiveness. I had believe he has forgiven me. Call it a deathbed conversion, if you will. I believe it was genuine. He then said to me, um, he said, and chaplain, God has given me an assignment with the remaining days that I have to live. He said, and that assignment is to be reconciled with all the people that I hurt. 
Now, I knew that he was up to something because he'd been calling back to the people at Pelletary Waste Systems and just saying, hey, I'm sorry if I messed with you. You're really a good guy or a good person. Um, you know, and, and, um, and please forgive me for, for how I wronged you. So Tom in his, and keep in mind, most people at that stage are really pretty depressed. Tom is engaged, he's focused, even though he's confined to his bed, he is really focused on this mission. There's no question that it's appropriate to have a time of prayer. So we all gather around his bed and we have a time of prayer. Now keep in mind, this is the same Tom who wouldn't even say hi to the chaplain for six months, okay? And be involved in spiritual things. When we're done praying, he says to his family, he says, by the way, um, if you haven't picked out somebody to officiate at my funeral, I would like Chaplain Steve to do it because he knows my heart. Okay? So a week goes by, I get a second call from Tony, uh, again, um, Tom's second wife, who says Tom has passed away. We plan the service. We have a, an honoring um, memorial service, funeral service at Gunderson in Monona. As a symbol of what God did in Tom's life, I wish you all could have been there. Um, Tom and his first wife, Joyce, had a son who was serving uh, in Iraq. And Tom was a, a Vietnam vet, by the way. And so the, the honor guard was there, the military personnel, and as they are presenting the flag in a very dignified, honoring way to uh, Tony's second wife, uh, to, to, to Tom's second wife, Tony, who's sitting in the front row with all of her family, she turns around. I did not know that she was going to do this. She turned around and presented the flag to Joyce, who was Tom's first wife, and said, I would like you to have this in honor of your son, Joyce and Tom's son, who is now serving in Iraq. That demonstration of reconcil reconciliation for a family, two families, that experienced a tremendous amount of hurt because of Tom was very powerful. Later in the day, I was able to visit with the grandkids and talk to them about God's gift through Tom, their grandfather, in the form of living reconciled relationships. So in that one little story, prayer, lots of prayer for Tom. Counting the cost, it took, it took a while. Uh, be available, wait to be invited in, uh, do some life together, uh, be patient and be faithful, rely on the Holy Spirit, and then watch God at work. Now there's a powerful PS to that story, especially for those of us gathered here today. And that is simply this. Uh, Tom's first wife, Joyce, is her real name, and we know her as Joyce Thompson, as in Joyce and Tommy Thompson. Now, let that sink in for just a moment. Um, I am deeply grateful to none other than Joyce and Tommy Thompson in our congregation for allowing us to hear a part of their story. But I'm also thankful for the way they have lived their lives. They have been living this stuff out for decades, whether they call it this or whether they've been able to understand what it is. In fact, even this morning, they got news very early that a good friend of theirs had passed away, and they were both here doing their ministry jobs. Tommy rehearsing with the band and Joyce at the front desk. So there is a second presentation this morning. Um, kept the florist busy this week. <laughs> Joyce and Tommy, I want to thank you for your ministry of presence to us throughout the years. Thank you for the way that you have served God faithfully in the community. 
Joyce, all that you do, Tommy, for all the people that you have come around in the area of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, for the way that you have served. You have demonstrated what it means to be salt and light, the Ministry of Presence. And thank you for allowing us to hear part of your story this morning. So extending Christ's grace to all, one person at a time, perhaps through the Ministry of Presence, it's none other than giving the gift of hope. Well, my friends, there's only one application question for us this morning. We don't even have to write it down. It's real simple, and it's, it's this. To whom might God want you to extend the ministry of presence this week? I guarantee that all of us will have the opportunity to do it. So I encourage us to go out with our eyes and ears open to see who God might want us to come alongside. Now, let's stand for the final prayer and our benediction. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, in the frenzy of our monitored lives at home and in the marketplace and in the church, keep before us your invitation to live incarnational lives and help us to be on the lookout this week for opportunities to practice the ministry of presence and to give the gift of hope to someone with whom we come into contact. And as a result, May we be a pleasure to you and a light to the world. Amen. <laughs>